Disney's adaptation of the children's classic A Wrinkle in Time transforms the book's realization that love transcends self into the more humanistic message that love of self is the greatest achievement of mankind. Are you just watching? Episode 79, A Wrinkle in Time. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Uh, well, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> with, you know, I was so looking forward to another Disney win. Yeah. You know, let's talk about something else. What okay. Have been watching, right. What have you been watching on TV recently? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, ironically, it's also Disney. It's Marvel. Um, I'm watching Jessica Jones. Oh, really? I haven't started yeah. that yet. I just, I'm on the second episode. So. <laughs> no spoilers for me. I don't know anything yet. Yeah. Well, I just finished watching the Netflix series, The Crown, the, all, both, ah. both seasons of it. it was, My wife loves that one. It's actually really quite good. The production value is really high. And the acting was amazing. And well, David I learned, Tennant's in it, isn't he? he yeah. They, so it can't go wrong. Well, it's really cool because I've never been like a royal royalty fan. You know, like some people are where they just like live and uh, breathe, you know, British royalty. Yeah. I've had people in my family that are that way, but myself, I couldn't care less. But it was very intriguing to see history from the British point of view. And I would spend a lot of time like researching it while I'm watching the show and I know I'm not the only one because there's a ton of websites now that are all like, you came here because you've watched The Crown and you want to know the truth behind this. You know? <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, it was a really good watch. Though I will say from a Christian standpoint that there was one particular episode in the middle of season two that beware. <laughs> uh, Skip if you can. And unfortunately, those seem to be working their way into many of our uh, series yeah. recently. So. Listener, you may be wondering why we're starting off A Wrinkle in Time, a review of A Wrinkle in Time, with uh, something, anything other <laughs> than our discussion of A Wrinkle in Time. And I'll tell you, it's because we don't normally like to do negative reviews. We, no. We like uplifting and edifying things. Yes, we do. And Eve, you, you read Wrinkle in Time uh as a much younger woman, right? Yes, yes. They're they're books I grew up with. They were read to my eighth grade class when I was at a Christian school, and we started out with something by Stephen Law or Lawhead that everybody got bored with. Mm. So the the reader, I love Lawhead. Yeah, I do too. Actually, the the reader switched over and started reading the Wrinkle in Time series, while the couple of us in the class that were actually interested in the Lawhead books read by ourselves. <laughs> and so I got hooked on Madeline Lingle. I've read a ton of her books. And uh, to be honest, of this particular series, The Wrinkle in Time was not my favorite book. I mm. actually preferred books two and three, A Wind in the Door and A uh, Swiftly Tilting Planet were my two favorites. But yeah, um, it's been years since I've read A Wrinkle in Time. So I did refresh my memory before going to see the movie. And I think that just made the movie worse. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's. Uh, I had mentioned when we talked about reviewing this one that I had never read the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife and I took a, uh, a trip to D.C. last weekend, which is a, a little over three hours drive for us. And uh, uh, it 
turns out that the Wrinkle in Time book was seven hours long on a bridge. So it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. We listened to it on the way up and on the way down, and we, we both enjoyed the book very much. And I will say this, that I'm very happy to see that all of the audio books, all of the ebooks, and all of the physical books are all checked out at the library with a massive wait list. Oh, so, boy, I hope that means good things. I know. I'm hoping people actually read the books and don't judge the books by the movie. Yeah. Speaking of which, if you've read the book, you may not want to see the movie. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, read the book. Yeah. It's, it's much, it'll be much more edifying, and you, you'll come out with a better message if you read the book. <laughs> but there were some good things. I mean, uh, you mentioned the score. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not... I, okay, I am struggling a little bit to come up with the good things, but... Yes, uh, the score was actually by a newbie that I've never heard of. I'm not saying that he's newbie at doing scores. Mm -hmm. I just never heard of him before. Ramin Jawadi. Jawadi? That was a much better job pronouncing it than I could have done. <laughs> I, I'm not exactly sure what kind of name that is. It sounds kind of Indian, maybe. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and and it did kind of have an Indian flair to the music as well uh, in places, but it does. It was very Disney-ish, and uh, I I mean it it was seamless. I didn't really notice it when I was watching the movie and. Uh, it took listening to it afterwards to even get a feel for what kind of music it was, because I just didn't notice it. Which, in my book, usually means it's a good score if you don't notice it. It usually stands out like a sore thumb when it's bad. <laughs> my wife commented earlier to me that it uh, sort of felt like Charlie and a Chocolate Factory meets Snow White, uh, as far as a Disney-esque feeling, mm -hmm. but sort of throwing in a little bit of 1970s trippy, here comes the magic Mm -hmm. But uh, it was nicely integrated into the into the movie. Mm -hmm. And they did have some songs that were written specifically for the movie as well. I I didn't pay attention to those. I don't typically pay attention to words being sung, so mm. that just kind of went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, one of those is very early on in the movie, and I was thinking that the movie was going to be more musical than it turned out being. Because mm -hmm. um, really, there were only two complete songs throughout the entire movie, right? Two no, uh, well, lyrical complete songs. Not according to the soundtrack. There's really? one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wow. Eight. I'm not done. I'm not done. Um, there, and then you go on from there. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. This must include the score pieces, too. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not counting the score. I'm skipping those. There could... Not, I mean, the entire thing would have been filled up with the soundtrack, lyrics. The soundtrack and the score are t together are 43 tracks. And Holy mackerel. Only... Yeah, I would say 22 of those are score. Hmm. So, I, I looked it up. I, I, it took me a little while to find it. It looks like a part of it hasn't been released yet. Um, from from uh, like a buying the the music separate, but I did find it on Spotify, and so I was listening to it on there. It it was both one of those where you can either buy the soundtrack or buy the yeah. score. So there's two separate things, kind of like there was with Black Panther as well, which we told everybody, please avoid the soundtrack, get the score. Yeah, uh, for informational purposes, uh, his Wikipedia article says he's Iranian German. 
Oh. Well, so, his name sounds yeah. kind of Indian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, but clearly neither of us are experts at picking, <laughs> picking up foreign language names. Yeah. Apologies to him. Yeah. Well, he's never going to hear this anyway. Who are we? <laughs> Let me play just a little bit of the score for you just to kind of get you in the mood for this movie. I like the way that you know, in general, soundtracks set the set the feeling, and this one did a pretty good job with it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, uh, something you mentioned earlier to me, uh, the way they did the visual effects with the, particularly the color and uh, the lighting that they used in each of the different scenes, mm-hmm. um, I think meshed particularly well with uh, with how the score was affecting the 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 mood of the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, they really seem like to, you said, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, but then you know, a portion of this, a portion of the story in general is is trippy. the The whole idea of folding, mm-hmm. uh, tessering, uh, te- tessering, exactly. <laughs> um, actually, uh, there's one point where they say, and this is from the book too: the tesseract is real. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I leaned over to my wife and said, "Well, yeah, Loki has it." But in the book, is it Tesser Space Act or is is it Tesseract? It's one, one word. word. It's one it word. It is one word. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not the act of tessering. No. Tesseract, right. tesseract is the noun and tesser is the verb. Okay. All right. I, that, I, I was curious. And, and, you know, whenever somebody says tesseract, I think of the one from... From Marvel's universe, holding <laughs> holding the space stone, I think. <laughs> and we're getting all of our universes mixed up here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all Disney, of course. Yeah. That that's ninety percent of the movies that uh, are made in these days. Yeah. Well, the ones that we can review, anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, I will say that one of my favorite male actors is in this movie. And... Uh, wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Derek McCabe. <laughs> No. no, no, it's it's not the six year old. <laughs> uh, no, Chris Pine. Yeah, yes, Captain Kirk himself. Yeah, well, he's been in a lot of other things too. That's yeah. one of the things that I like about him is that he seems to be a very versatile actor. He doesn't let himself get typecast. And I mean, he could have very easily rested his laurels on Captain Kirk, and I'm glad he didn't. So. Yeah, I, I've liked him in just about everything I've seen him in, actually. And uh, I think he did. I mean, he wasn't like a main character in this movie, but he plays um, the kid's dad and who's missing for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's lots of flashbacks. So you get to see him uh, in various um, interactions. And I thought he did a pretty, pretty good job. Yeah, he's actually uh, he he was the most like what I pictured for the book. But mm-hmm. I had seen the trailers before listening to the book on the drive. <laughs> so, you know, I might you already have already kind of had him in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, whereas the one that I imagined more different 
was actually one you mentioned as being the closest for you, which was Calvin. Mm-hmm. Levi Miller. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, he's exactly the way I pictured him. I pictured him uh, probably uh, as a younger me, much more dorky and, and geeky. Oh, no, uh, he was a, he was an athlete in the book. Well, yeah, I was an athlete in, in uh, Not dorky, middle school, too. <laughs> you can be a dorky athlete. <laughs> I was but he in was, track and, he, remember, well, and choir and, yeah. <laughs> and well, chess he, club. He was so um, popular because he was a nice guy and he was good looking and he was popular that Meg was really uh, amazed that he would even be willing to speak to her. So yeah. I think they did a very good job of casting yeah. him. Yeah. And that was both in the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, there were there were a few changes. No, oh, um, more changes than I think they kept things the same. To be honest, and it's like uh, even the family di- dynamic was different because uh, in the book she's one of four kids. There's twins in the middle. She's the mm-hmm. oldest, and then twins, and then Charles Wallace. Yeah, and they're not adopted. They're all born. To the family yeah, completely normal twins too which i yeah. thought I, I understand why in the writing of the of the screenplay they left the twins out mm-hmm. it, it's certainly an understandable uh choice but i think it was important to note that that the twins were normal 10 year old yeah and i think they were kind of they grounded the family because everybody else was so cerebral you know? exactly yeah they acted just the way they, they were building a, a treehouse. They had a vegetable garden. Everything mm-hmm. was, was great for them. Mm-hmm. And then in the book, Charles Wallace was a significantly different personality mm-hmm. than you would expect a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's very special. And he actually is one of the main characters through all of the books. In fact, a swiftly tilting planet, he is the main character. He's the one on the adventure. He grows older as mm-hmm. as the the books yes. go on, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's he's he's a very special little boy, and I'm absolutely amazed at how well Derek McCabe played that because it is extraordinarily hard to find good actors of, of that age. Yeah, very hard, particularly believable ones. Yes, um, they're few and they're pretty few and far between. Yeah, and and some movies I think almost have to wait till they find the right actor, and I think that. That was the reason they were so long at producing Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game into a movie was mm-hmm. because they were waiting for the right actor to come along. And they still didn't really do a very good job with that book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, this movie really solidified a, a metaphor for me. I think it's a metaphor or a simile or an analogy or one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, books, uh, think of books like uh, a Bengal tiger, right? Mm-hmm. Running through the Running through the jungle and... Jumping from tree to tree, going for a swim, taking down prey, all the wonderful things a Bengal tiger can do. Mm-hmm. Think of the movie made of a book of uh, being a taxidermied Bengal tiger. <laughs> no heart and soul to it, but still, you know, good enough to get information on it. It can go into a museum. It can be used to help visualize what the book was about. Mm-hmm. Wrinkle on Time was a Build-A-Bear workshop Bengal tiger. (laughs) Not only does it not have the heart and soul, but it bears only the slightest resemblance to the real-life Bengal tiger. (laughs) But it's nice and cuddly and and makes you feel good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I think we've kind of gotten beyond the good things we can say about this movie. And when we proceed on, it will be spoilers. So uh -huh. if, if we haven't completely turned you off the movie at this point, stick around. We're going to do so. But before you, if you haven't seen the movie yet, make sure to check out the uh, plugged in review mm -hmm. for uh, for Wrinkle in Time from Focus yes. on the Family. Mm -hmm. uh, as always, they provide a great summary of, of the positive and negative uh, elements of the movie. And, and with this one in particular, there's a lot of spiritual content. It's uh, completely left out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we're going to talk about. <laughs> So, speaking of left out, let's uh, let's stop leaving out the spoilers and jump mm -hmm. into the movie. Yeah. Well, or we could jump into what was left out of the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> because that's a lot, like you said, it's a lot more than what was actually included. Yeah. I, um, I think the first thing that hit me, and I'd actually had a little bit of warning about this before I went to see the movie because I had read the Pugden uh, review before. I went to see it, which may have may or may not have been a mistake. Mm. But Mrs. Who is in the book is she speaks in quotes. Yep. And she speaks in quotes that are at least influenced, if not directly from Western society and uh, the Bible. And so pretty much everything she says has some kind of spiritual connotation. And they put completely different words in her mouth in the movie and it did none, <laughs> none of the quotes that she used in the book were included in the movie yeah not a single well, one well i think them. she had a shakespeare quote that may have been oh uh, that yeah you may you may be right yeah i, I think I there was one, one yeah there was one shakespeare quote that i think may have been in the book uh but anything remotely resembling a christian influence was stripped out of everything she said and everything everyone else said uh in the movie <sighs> and to be honest, that kind of disgusted me because uh, from what I've read, the director was trying to be more inclusive and and wrap her arms around the whole world with the story and not leave anybody out. But in so doing, she left the Christians out. And the book was written by a Christian author. With, Christ with intentional Christian overtones. Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> it, you know, she didn't hesitate to include spiritual references from other faiths. Fates, and I hesitate to use the word. She used a quote, uh, which turned out to be pivotal to the movie. Uh, mm -hmm. The wound is the place where the light enters you. And uh, that's a quote from an Islamic scholar. Mm. And uh, then there's a quote that's, uh, that she attributes to Buddha. The foot, is, the foot feels the foot when it feels the ground, which turns out. May not, not even be Buddha. Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, th those are just two examples of the the malarkey <laughs> uh, that gets put in place of some very powerful scripture, mm -hmm. including one that many Christians use as a foundation for uh, for their day to day faith. Romans eight twenty eight. Mm -hmm. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. which was in the book. And it was actually that one, if I remember correctly, it in the book, it wasn't even quoted. It wasn't even from Mrs. Who. It was from uh, Dr. Murray, Mr. Yeah. Murray. Yeah. I mean, it, 
it, it disgusted me, to be honest. And it got to the point where I was groaning every time she would say something in the movie. And I felt bad for the person I went to see the movie with because she had <laughs> never read the book. So she all she had was the experience she was getting from the movie and the commentary that was coming from me. <laughs> but that aside, not just Mrs. Who's. All of the quotes were changed out of her mouth, but every reference to Jesus and a higher power that was sprinkled throughout the entire book, because it was written by a Christian author with a Christian message, all of those were removed. There was not a single one in the movie. You know, the one that bugged me the most, and uh, ironically, it's also one that bugged me a little bit in the book, was when near the end of the book where they're listing out all the greatest warriors who have come from Earth. The greatest warriors of light, yeah. Yeah, uh, they listed Jesus as one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it bugged me a little bit in the book because Jesus is not a warrior of light. Yeah, well... Jesus is the light. Yeah. You have to take into account that Madeline Langle has a very strange take on Christianity. And I wouldn't say that if we sat down in a room with her and, and discussed our Christian beliefs with her that she would necessarily get us either. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. She she has definitely a different brand of Christianity than the average evangelical. And we'll just leave it at that because I'm, <laughs> we're not here to critique her. We're here right. to critique this movie, which didn't even get it as far as she would get it. So they they left Jesus off the list entirely. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And they put in a couple others. Mm-hmm. They included Buddha. Yeah. And did they I don't remember. Was Muhammad in there? I don't know. I think they were leaning more towards like scientists and. And great philosophers and that kind of thing. Yeah. And humanists, all of them. Well, not all of them, but. Or not Christians, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, And I don't know. It just, if they had left some of the Christian stuff in, it probably wouldn't have annoyed me for them to add some of the other stuff in, too. Yeah. Because that's the inclusive, that's what being inclusive is about. Right. But because they completely stripped all of the Christian stuff out and replaced it with the others, that that's what I think annoyed me the most. Yeah. And and then, of course, when we'll get to the message of the movie, which I think is a complete swap over over mm. what the actual message of the book was. And uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah. Another thing that they left out was uh, Mrs. What's It changes into. A, a beautiful flying horse in the book. Yeah, I I, I really I pictured a Pegasus. Yeah, yeah, a, some... a Pegasus with rainbow wings, and mm-hmm. you know, a, a very colorful Pegasus in the book. Yeah, that's not what she changes into in the movie, which is not a big deal. I don't particularly care how they wanted to visualize that. Yeah. But the point that's missing is that when she turned into this beautiful thing, the kid's first instinct was to worship yeah. her. To bow down and worship. Right. And how did she respond? Never me. Never me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that was, I think in the book, that was the first very clear non-who quote Mm -hmm. that pointed to the acceptance in the book of an existence of God. Mm -hmm. And that was completely removed. Instead, uh, you get a line from Calvin saying... Oh, Mrs. What's it? Uh, uh, people don't just strip naked. <laughs> yeah. Why do they include that? What was the point? Yeah. But uh, that's beside. Speaking of the point, that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah. 
that there was no indication that that these ladies weren't um something supernatural that was that there wasn't something higher than them that they were serving yeah they, they in the movie they completely changed the the fundamental nature of the misses and mm-hmm. uh I came out of the book believing that we were intended to think that the misses were all angels, even though in the book they uh, say they're stars. Yeah, they they talk about being stars, and you know, there's there's this is written in the '60s, right? Sixty-five uh, or something like that. Yeah, I know they're um, old. <laughs> yeah, so there's some leeway there for for some trippiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, sixty-two, first published in sixty-two, but it was written. Uh, it was actually written in the '50s because she said that she had a, a great deal of difficulty getting a publisher to uh, to pick it up. Pub- pick it up, yeah. Yeah. A- anyway. Um, so there's some difference in there, and and in the 50s and 60s, I can certainly understand the whole idea of of angels being stars and and whatnot, and her own special brand of Christianity, which I mentioned before. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but you you definitely came out feeling like they were servants of a uh, of a higher power, a greater mm-hmm. good. Um, uh, and frankly, I came out feeling that they were angels. And even their mannerisms supported that. They were uh, a little bit disconnected in the book. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very weird. Mm-hmm. Eccentric. Uh, yeah, eccentric. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> but in the movie, uh, Mrs. What's It in particular, she out and out lies a couple different places. Mm-hmm. She's rude to Meg in particular, mm-hmm. though that may have been... Attempting to serve a, a point in the story, and I, I haven't decided if that worked yet. Um, and <laughs> if then, you haven't decided it didn't work. <laughs> um, and then there's this whole hidden romance that they felt the need to throw in with the the happy medium, who wasn't even a guy in the book. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, honestly, I'm a little glad they changed the gender if they were going to put the romance in because yeah. this is Hollywood. They might not have. Yeah, and and they they put a twist on those the happy medium words that I don't think was intended in the book. I mean, it was like that whole let's seek a happy medium, and they all had to go stand in circles and stand oh, on one the whole foot. And, Buddhist, uh, yeah, uh, Far East, yeah, yeah. It was a completely completely off spin from what it was in the book. She was happy, as in emotionally happy, mm-hmm. and she did not like to look at sad things. In in the book, she wanted to help the kids. She immediately liked them, and she wanted to help them. Not so. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I didn't get that whole happy medium thing. That was it. It it did not work for me. No, no, it didn't for me either. Yeah, it, just the overall way that they changed the misses. Yeah, to they were be... young and pretty instead of old and wise. Yeah, they did a lot with changing their visual appearance every time. Every time they move from one from, place to another, yeah, yeah. They, whenever they tessered, but it was always cosmetic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fantastical like it was in the book. It, um, in one of the in one place in the book, there was uh, Mrs. Who just appeared by her glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they they really they dumbed down the misses yeah. in the movie. They dumbed a lot of stuff down. They did well, and they left out. I think. They really breezed through the Kamazots thing, and then they left out an interlude on Ant Beast Planet that I thought was extremely important. Yeah. And 
and maybe it was just a time thing where they just they they had to condense the story so much that they had to drop things out but i really felt like that interlude where they 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 fled from camazots and and took that interlude on ant beast planet where meg made the decision to go back for charles wallace mm-hmm. i think that whole interlude was extremely important because it was it, it was a character building p- time for meg and her actions don't make sense without it. It was the it was the build up to the resolution, the whole mm-hmm. Ant Beast Planet part, and without it in the movie, the entire message changed. Yeah, well, I think they wanted the message to be different anyway. Yeah, yeah, I I really missed that part, and they did kind of make a reference to the beasts very, 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 very subtly. I think it was when the median was looking in. When Meg was doing her, um, you know, on one oh, foot, yeah. um, he made some comment about beasts and they showed very briefly on screen like this beastie thing. And I think that was their reference to that planet, but they didn't actually go there. So I don't know what was the point of him seeing them yeah. if they didn't have that interlude where the beasts appeared. So, yeah, I, I really missed that part. And I really felt like they breezed through Camazots way, way, way too fast because they completely miss the message of what Camazots was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the whole, uh, what was... Same versus equal? Yeah, central intelligence. The central central intelligence. Yeah, the central central <laughs> intelligence. They dropped the entire uh, Big Brother feeling of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was tied very closely to the difference between equal and same. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think that with where our culture is heading this way, heading more into socialism, that they didn't want to make the point the book made because the book was very much definitely had a message of anti-socialism in it. And so to have portrayed socialist socialist agendas in a bad light, because that's what Camazots was, they just completely stripped that entirely out of the movie so that they wouldn't make that commentary. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I I can understand why they did it because they would make a whole lot of people mad if they presented it as a as a bad philosophy and evil. The ultimate evil philosophy is as socialism. But well, <laughs> that was what was in the book because it is a very important distinction between everybody being the same and everybody being equal. Right. And. I think that that's something that we are missing even in our culture today where we think that to be equal, that means you have to be completely equal, have the same, not opportunities, but the same uh, privileges, the same outcomes. It's not, I I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember now who says it that way, but it's not, it's not equality of outcome. It's equality of opportunity. And that's, that's the way we're, we're supposed to all have the same opportunities but what we achieve with those opportunities is based on our own motivations and talents to pursue the opportunities. And I think some people want it to be equality of outcome where we're all the same and there's no freedom in all being the same. There's no yeah. freedom in that. And that was where the evil was in the original wrinkle in time story was not being able to to be yourself, to have the freedom to act within the opportunities and the talents that were given to you. Yep. 
and and what you have that makes you special. Yeah, it one of the uh, and it's included in the trailers too. One of the more visually stunning um, scenes in the in the movie is the scene where all the little girls are bouncing the ball, mm-hmm. uh, all in rhythm, and and uh, everything is perfectly in synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And the, all the mothers walk out at the same time. Right, but it's they they dropped the part where this is all by direction of the central intelligence. And if they mess up, they get in trouble. Uh, uh, yeah, they go for re-education. Mm-hmm. It sound familiar? Yep, yep. And then that there was, and the one boy they saw that was bouncing out of rhythm, and mm-hmm. and the mom that came out late, and they were so worried that they were going to get reported. Yeah, the I mean, anomaly. Yeah, and and see the thing is, is that. In the book, they were all real people living in a real evil system. But in the movie, they presented it all as like it was like a mirage, like they weren't really there. Yeah. In the movie, as they're walking out of the neighborhood, the neighborhood folds up. And disappears and turns into a beach. Yeah. So suddenly, uh, all the people just appeared. The the entire world is, uh, it's not people being oppressed. Mm -hmm. It's people who don't exist. Right. And uh, and really that that speaks to the biggest change for me which is they they changed it. Mhm. And uh, it in the book is much bigger, much scarier and beyond comprehension of humans. Mm-hmm. And the the scope of the battle between it and the light in the book is eons, uh, millennia. Mm-hmm. Right. Of of time and mm-hmm. it is not Camazots. It is it, invaded Camazots. Right, invaded Camazots as part of its takeover of the universe. And it's already on Earth, and it's already surrounding Earth, and it's only the the warriors of the light that are keeping it at bay. Right. Yeah. They made it so much smaller. And at the same time, bigger, because they said that that the darkness was faster than the only thing faster than the speed of light was darkness. And I'm like, so are they saying that the darkness is the greater than the light? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there were all sorts of things around that that really bothered me. Uh, That is a very common uh, in a lot of storytelling and writing that. Mm hmm. And I, we've talked about it before, you know, the, the equal balance in the fight between light and dark, between good and evil. But thank God that we know it's the not truth. true. The battle's yeah. already won. Right. Or rather, the war is already won. Yeah. The battles are still being fought, but the yeah. ultimate war is won. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that I think they miss, you know, that whole concept of yin and yang, like where they have to exist together. Yeah. Um, it's very Eastern philosophy. It looked at, more of that Eastern philosophy. Yeah. But the very interesting thing about it is, is that there's a difference because darkness is the absence of light. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not that they coexist. It's like one is the absence of the other. It's just like wet and dry. Dry is the absence of wet. You don't, you can't explain dry without explaining wet because it's the absence of wet. And you can't explain darkness without explaining light because darkness is the absence of light. Right. So one is is kind of like the counter. It's not equal to light. It's the absence of light. And so we serve the light, thankfully. Mm-hmm. 
yeah the word the the light the the way the way yes and you know it one of the reasons that that the dumbing down of of the darkness and of the battle and of the misses and all of that bugs me is because I really felt like it takes away from the inherent glory of God that was that was written into the original wrinkle in time mm-hmm. and uh, uh one verse that came that came to mind for me was uh isaiah forty twelve uh, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, hollow of his hand, excuse me, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on, a sca- on the scales? I mean, our God is bigger than any box we can put him in. He mm-hmm. is beyond our comprehension. Mm-hmm. Um, his breath, the his breath blows on us like grass Mm -hmm. but the movie this version of a wrinkle in time made it all graspable uh (laughs) made made it all within humanity's reach yeah yeah what was that quote i think it was mrs what's it because she was the most talkative of them she said what if we aren't just in the universe but the universe is in us it's like containing the vastness of the universe which is smaller than god inside of us you know and and that was done over and over again throughout the movie it's just compacting it making it smaller making it uh, i don't know human and that that isn't what any of that is and and i think it it disabuses the whole the whole premise of what madeline lingle is writing about because she was she loved science and she absolutely she wrote these books in a way to make science attainable to young Christian kids. And it, it's, it you know, that you can take joy and love in science because science is reaching out to touch God. And, and they made it so small and so, uh, I don't know. So within our understanding. Yeah. Instead of outside of our understanding to be yeah. reached for. Yeah. There was one other change that bugged me and it this actually in the grand scheme of things this change was much more minor mm-hmm. uh than the others uh but i think it plays into uh the next thing that we wanted to talk about which was the ultimate message of the movie <laughs> yeah the ultimate message exactly <laughs> um and in the book uh calvin was chosen uh, to accompany Meg and uh, Charles Wallace because of his skills as a communicator. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, in the movie, they specifically say he was chosen for his diplomacy, and, and then he didn't actually do anything. Exactly, he he didn't. In uh, fact, in fact, the person I went to see the movie with made the comment at the end, "What was Calvin there for?" I'm like, "You need to read the book." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's diplomacy is. <laughs> and I, I I may be tilting at windmills here, but diplomacy, Winston Churchill, uh, I'm going to paraphrase because he uses a little profanity. Uh, diplomacy is the ability to tell people to go to heck and have them stop and ask directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but communication is... He knew the truth of things. It, communication is much more about telling, uh, communicating the truth 
mm-hmm. communicating the way things are, whereas diplomacy is about coexisting. And mm-hmm. uh, I really felt like it was a, a change that underlined the entire change of the theme of mm-hmm. A Wrinkle in Time in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that theme was all about, I was going to say us, but it really was all about me. Mm-hmm. And who that me is depends on who you're referring to. But in the movie, it was Meg. Yeah. Yeah. Meg was definitely the point of view character. And I got so disgusted during certain parts of this movie that I was making, you know, some pretty nasty little comments under my breath. <laughs> and I actually wrote some of them into my um, notes here because I came out of the movie thinking the theme of this was fight the darkness with love of self. Because it was all about building Meg's self-esteem up. That was the whole movie. It was all about making Meg feel better about herself. I have almost the exact same thing written in my notes. I have Mm -hmm. the religion of self-esteem written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was so totally different from what the book was saying. Because Meg's character is very much the same in that she was facing ridicule at school she was an unpopular girl. She was very much introverted in that pulled in on herself. And but the story was not about her finding confidence in herself. It was her learning to put her confidence not in people and not in self. So it was almost a direct opposite her because in the book she she learned that she she could fight with love and not with. Mm hmm selfishness and and it was self it was the self-sacrifice at the end when she gave herself when she'd made the decision to go back for charles wallace it was a self-sacrifice she realized that she was the only one that could do it not in a selfish way but in a way of i've been trying to get everybody else to fight my battles and i have to do it now and no matter what the ramifications are I'm going to forget myself. I'm going to forget my fears. I'm going to forget all of the things that I've let hold me back all these years. And I'm going to risk myself to save my little brother. Yeah. They changed it from a personalized self selflessness Mm -hmm. to a personalized selfishness. Mm -hmm. And it came out in this, this one particular line. And it was in the book when she went back for Charles Wallace, she was telling him that she loved him, right? That was how she realized that it was going to be love that got through him when he was being possessed by the it, that it would be her love that would get through to him. But they phrased it so weirdly in the movie. It was like, yeah, you love me because he was like saying all these insulting things to her. Mm -hmm. And she says, yeah, you love me. You should love me because I deserve to be loved. I don't know where they got that out of the book, but that was not in the book. And yeah. that made me so mad. I was just gritting my teeth. And I was that like, That one was like a nine penny nail through my forehead. I know. The, it was just like, uh, oh, oh. And I, you know, quickly wrote it down because I was just like, oh my goodness, that's where the whole movie went wrong. Because that's. <laughs> it, it really was the focus point of everything that was wrong in the movie up till then. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, of course, it's leading up to. Me. Me. <laughs> it's leading up to the me. Yes. I think it was Mrs. Witch that said it all the at Meg earlier when they went to visit the happy medium. 
it was that conversation she had with Mrs. Witch. And she said, all the choices from the beginning of the universe led to you just exactly as you are. And I'm like, um, what? <sighs> so all of this was to make Meg trust in herself, make herself feel better about herself because she wanted to go back as someone else because she hated herself so much that she wanted to test her back and be somebody new, be somebody else. And she had to learn to live with herself and to love herself. And once she learned to love herself, then she could defeat the it and everything would be okay. The solution was in her all along, which is ironic because it goes directly against one of the other scriptures that was in the book, 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 28. Mm -hmm. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God mm -hmm. has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Mm -hmm. And here the movie turned that entire scripture on its head. Yeah. And it it made human wisdom, human strength, all the significant. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking as like the example of love that we're given in the Bible is not selfish love, it's selfless love. And it's it's spoken of in two specific references both by the apostle john uh one is john fifteen thirteen. greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends and first john three sixteen. by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers so this is our demonstration of love this is the example that we have from scripture not love of self but yeah. self-sacrificing love where you are willing to give yourself uh, without reservation, without mm. holding anything back, you give yourself selflessly for others. That is true love. It's the essence of being a servant, too, mm -hmm. which is the closest emulation of Christ that we can get. Right. And, uh, you know, actually, at one point while listening to the book, my wife and I, uh, we we turned to each other and said, boy, this kid, uh, talking about Meg. Yeah. This kid is really a brat. <laughs> uh, because she says some really mean stuff to her dad. Yeah, um, she does. Now, it, granted. It, he had <laughs> been missing. He had left her for four years. So. Yeah. And this is an adolescent daughter who has been dealing with, uh, not only with her father being gone for four years, but the uncertainty of whether or not he's ever coming back. And in, in the book, it made a much bigger deal about everybody in the town said he's gone. Yeah. He's not and coming it, back. And they were making references to the fact that he probably ran off with another woman or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her, her mother she, was constantly saying, when your dad gets back. There's a very special relationship between a daughter and her father. And yeah. Absolutely. I think that that comes through in the book, not so much in the movie, though they did try and show it that there was that special relationship between the two of them and that she was left very bereft by his sudden disappearance. And I think that that special relationship comes from, you know, thinking your father is just, is a superhero. Like he can, he can do no wrong. And 
and he can do everything. And, and she, in the book, that was why that interlude was so important on Aunt B's planet, because that's when she really came to the realization that her father was human and he made mistakes and he couldn't fix everything. And he wasn't the superhero. Mm -hmm. And, and part of that, you know, she, like you said, says some pretty mean things to him because she keeps trying to force him into that role because that's the way she sees him. That's her perception of him. And thank God that our, even though our mortal fathers fail us, that they aren't superheroes and that they can't fix everything, that we do have a father in heaven who is yeah, so much bigger than a superhero. <laughs> and, and that's part of what she comes to realize. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly... Our earthly fathers are just a pale shadow, yeah. a representation of what what our heavenly Father is. Yes, uh, just as I expect that you know that that's exactly what I am to my children. Uh, well, but we it, try. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and that and that might be one of the very small positives in this uh, movie version of the book is that they too do portray the the necessity of of good parenting and they they even allude very briefly to what's an important part of the book uh in calvin's life in that he does not have a good family and they miss one of 11 kids or something like that yeah and his mother is very neglectful and they don't really mention his father much in the book they made a point of saying his father was a a very mean disciplinarian in the movie but that is you know, I think one of the things that, you know, contrasts the two families, because uh, Meg and Charles Wallace come from a loving family of two parents, though the father's mm-hmm. missing, and Calvin comes from a very big and neglectful family, and he has no um, good examples of parenting. So there is that contrast there. I mean, if we're really searching really, 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 really hard for anything positive to say about this movie, there was a little bit of that in there. You know, it in the book i got the and i this may be the wrong impression but i got the distinct impression that uh, dr murray or uh, mr murray the father was gone on a mission for nasa mhm yeah um that he was he didn't he just was, disappear from his life right. at home like they showed he, in the movie well yeah as a matter of fact in the book they they talked about her having uh mrs murray having called uh nasa to try and get information about where he is and and everything like that. So I felt like it was, in the book, his absence was a a duty-bound thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Unintentional, but a duty-bound thing nonetheless. Whereas it's presented at the end of the movie as a poor choice on uh, Dr. Murray's part. Yeah. Um, As a matter of fact, there's there's a... uh, Early on in one of the... Uh, in one of the flashbacks, he he said something that that uh, he wanted to find the universe's origin and shake its hand. That was also at the end too. It was yeah. the, the comment he said to Meg when he got back. He says, "I'm sorry, I wanted to shake hands with the universe, but I should have been holding yours." Exactly. You know, it, it's a good message on the surface, but I felt that it was not quite on target. Yeah. There was so much in this that was not quite on target. So, and, and and you know something that just comes to my mind is I'm I am particularly biased to the gone on a mission type thing being you know having uh, 
my wife and I being vets and my son being in the army because it, it, there are times where we must travel for work and we can't mm-hmm. always be there. Um, and I, I guess I appreciated that being in the movie, uh, excuse me, in the book. Uh, and I'm a little disappointed with it not being in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of wish they had kept that, but you know, they can't keep everything. It, no. it, it, it took seven hours to read the book. <laughs> It, uh, and, for and, the audio copy of the books. So. And there could have been better choices. That's the thing. This is like what they left out. I can understand them leaving out. But at the same time, they needed to be better choices about maintaining the story. Because like even with the plugged in online, they said, you know, the reason it fell flat was because they didn't understand the story. It was like mm-hmm. whoever whoever wrote the screenplay for the movie, they didn't get the story. They didn't get it. It went right over their heads. And so they, they took visual aspects out of the story. They kept to f- the characters, but they missed the story because they didn't, they didn't understand it. it, it they just frankly didn't understand what they were um, transcribing into a different medium. You had to understand the story in order to, to keep the story. And they missed I it. Would, I would like to think that the author would not have appreciated this. No, I don't think rendition. she would have. No. Did you ever see the 2003 version? No, I haven't. I didn't know there I, was another version of it. Yeah, I I didn't know until I came across a picture when I was doing the research for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't seen it either, but I am curious now as as to if it's truer to the uh, the original telling. Well, hopefully it wasn't Disney who did it because it's Disney that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that, but Disney really is. They've become so metaphysical and universal and well, not that they ever were a Christian organization, but they're now as opposite to Christianity as they can possibly get. And I, I think it's gotten to the point now where parents need to be, I mean, even though they make stuff for children, parents, Christian parents need to be careful what Disney stuff they let their kids watch because yeah. so much of it is indoctrinating um, values that Christians do not hold. And, and that- that that's hard because they're doing it with great storytelling too. Mm-hmm. When we were discussing what film to do this this month, uh, I had suggested Coco as a possibility, but you pointed out that we we can't really. <laughs> you pointed out that we can't really do Coco because it had no. It really had no redeeming spiritual qualities to it. Mm-hmm. Everything that it presents is anti-biblical yeah so so we chose to do wrinkle in time which because, turned out you know to it's be a christian just... book yeah <laughs> <laughs> silly us silly us yeah oh well well hopefully our listeners will have gotten something out of this review and i do apologize that it is so extraordinarily negative yeah we and don't typically like to do that we don't normally like to do you know this is how it's different from the book uh, as a matter of fact the the one other one that we did uh, we steered away from it specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, everything wrong about this movie is how it differs from the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the book got it right and the movie got it wrong. Yeah. We both are familiar with the book, me, later than, than you, but mm-hmm. uh, it it really so colors how we have to do this review. Yeah. Yeah. And if there had been good stuff in the movie we would have discussed it i mean we we tried we did try to find some nice things to say about it and 
uh, overall, I mean, it was definitely a, a Disney production. It had all yeah. of the 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 stuff that you would consider good from a Disney production standpoint, but it, the movie did fall flat. And I think that even people who hadn't read the book sensed that the movie fell flat because yeah. the friend I went to, she's like, it was so disjointed. I didn't really, I couldn't. It 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 didn't seem like a kids movie. There, it it didn't have the kind of things that kids would like to see. And it just fell flat. She says it was, it, I, I didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense. And because of that, I'm gleeful to realize that people are checking out the book and reading the book because I think that it may have, despite its faults, may have introduced a whole new generation to Madeline Lingle. Mm-hmm. And, and she has some really great books. I can recommend almost all her books. I can't remember any that I, I read that I didn't like. And I that was back when I was a, a young teenager and very much devoured books. You know, I would read them, you know, sit down and read them in one sitting. Her books are so short because they really are children's books, not young adult. Yeah. But she had one uh, called In Both Were Young. I just saw, found it on my uh, bookshelf when I was trying to find my copy of A Wrinkle in Time. And it was a, a story about a young girl who goes to boarding school. And that was a book that had a lot of uh, impact on me because I ended up going to boarding school my last three years of high school. And I went through some of the things that that young girl went through Mm -hmm. going, going to boarding school. So her fiction is very valuable and I'm glad that there are kids that are, you know, pulling out the books and reading them again. And if, if the movie does nothing else, right. If it turn if it makes young people go look up her books, it's done something good. Yeah. And Frankly, when it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit can use anything mm-hmm. to to be that pebble in the shoe, you know, to right. to start the growth of of wonder of of the mysteries of God in someone, mm-hmm. and to to be the seed that the Holy Spirit is. Right. And uh, if Madeline Leangle's sort of unusual brand of Christianity is that is that pebble, then glory to be to glory be to God. <laughs> yeah. And yep. frankly, you know, God could even God can even use movies like Coco or Wow, even The Hateful Eight. You know, mm-hmm. the the absolutely most non Christian movie I could possibly think of. Um, I will put a plug out because right this weekend that we're recording this is uh, the weekend before Palm Sunday. Mm. We the movie that came out and hit theaters this weekend is called I Can Only Imagine. And I have not seen it yet, but my entire church went to see it Friday night and they actually bought out a, a theater and sold all the tickets. And nice. I just I haven't not, even seen a trailer for it. Yet, yeah, so. I, I was not able to make it and I could kick myself because it would have been very nice to put in a plug, on, you know, a knowledgeable plug about it. But from what I understand, it is a very good movie to take your non-Christian friends to um, so that they can see the gospel played out in a real life. Because the movie is the background and the story behind the song that was written called I Can Only Imagine. And it is an absolutely beautiful and highly impactful true story. And it it is a great, great movie to take non-believers to and then be prepared for conversation afterwards to lead your unbelieving friends to the Lord. Because this is about, uh, you know, a guy who's gone through that journey himself. What's the name of it? I Can Only Imagine. I Can Only Imagine. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very famous Christian song right now. It's the one you hear played at a lot of funerals because it's the the whole the wording of the the lyrics of the song are all about um, what it would be like to face Jesus in heaven, 
Mm. And it is it, it is absolutely inspiring song and it is an inspiring movie from what I understand. I have not seen it myself. So we can definitely end on that note. Go see. I can only imagine instead of a wrinkle <laughs> in time. And we'll be back next month with something new. Yeah. Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash are you just watching. You can find show notes for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash 79. You can also comment on our show notes. Um, you can call 903-231-2221 to leave us a voicemail. You can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com or join, please join our Facebook discussion group. Just look for Are You Just Watching and it's a group you'll have to ask to join, but we will let you in and we would love to get some conversation going there. So you can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. We would really dearly love some more up-to-date reviews and that helps other people find us. Share us when you see us, um, if you're following us on Facebook or Twitter, when you see us share our most recent um, episode, go ahead and pass it along so that other people will see it too. That would help us out a lot. Yeah. You know what? Let me uh, call out uh, NASA's Blair Allen and the Navy's Brian Alexander specifically to get them to comment. Okay. Because they both have... uh, uh, really good viewpoints and maybe we can get them to get the discussion going. Sure. Yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin. And I'm on Twitter at Renchepple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we're so grateful that you guys choose to download our podcasts and listen to them. And thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. We, we wouldn't do this if it weren't for you and our listeners. And we know you're out there somewhere in the ether. <laughs> <laughs> We appreciate we really do appreciate yeah. the the listenership. Yes, yes, and the feedback when we get it. Check us out next month. I don't know that we know what we're going to do next month, but we'll surprise you. Yeah, it you know, it, uh even if even if we have already chosen because it takes us like a a week, week and a half to get to go from recording to uh to Released. publishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suggestions are always welcome and we can do DVD releases. We can do uh, stuff that has been out for a long time. We can do television mm-hmm. uh, series, and we can do new releases too, like like uh, with Wrinkle in Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love suggestions. Yep, uh, and typically we don't try to do negative reviews. It was just this one was on our list to do, and we were really expecting a much better review out yeah. of this movie. Yeah, I think we were both expecting to have something fun to talk about and yeah. it was already on our schedule and unfortunately you guys got hit with a negative review. So we're so, so sorry for that, but do check us out. Most of our reviews are more positive and uplifting than this one has been, I think. Well, mm-hmm. I think we kept it positive and uplifting. We just trashed the movie. <laughs> you know what? That movie didn't need any help from us getting trashed. <laughs> No. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.